Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 13. In this episode, Brian has us examine one of the Jewish festivals that serve as the backdrop for the Gospel of John. We look at some ancient historians and Jewish writers about what this festival might have looked like. We talk a little bit about the Greek language, what it included, and just as importantly, what it doesn't include. Taking all of that into account, it makes us look at one of Jesus's sayings in a whole new light. It's one of those things that once you see it, it's almost impossible to unsee it. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you share our Facebook post from this episode or one of your favorites from the past? We would love for others to hear this content as well. With all that said, let's jump into this episode looking at the connection between living water and the Feast of Tabernacles. All right, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Yeah, here we are, Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Yes, the Bible Bistro back again. We've got our coffee. We've refueled. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. Also, you can also find this podcast by its other name. What What would happen if two people who were neurotic and yes. ha- had incredibly low self esteem tried to put together a podcast? No. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of inside joke in that. <laughs> we were bantering back and forth right. last night, but anyway, yes, that's the other. Don't ever look for that name. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Um, but yes, we're back in the bistro and we're going to be talking a little bit more about the temple, John, John seven. Is it? Yeah. Is yeah. That right? John seven. And yeah, the temple might as well beat the temple theme to death since we're doing it. Right? So. <laughs> but this no, podcast I, will only be about John from henceforth. No, no, no. <laughs> and so, yeah, I like, this is a really interesting chapter though. John seven has got a lot going on to it. I mentioned last time in our last episode um, this idea that there's a theme in the Gospel of John about the, the the Jewish festivals, and this is one of those passages. So here's a place that is a really interesting intersection of the temple theme and the, the theme of the, the Jewish festivals. And so I thought it'd be interesting for us to look at a little bit more depth. I think it's one of those that can kind of show us some of the things that are going on here. And I'm going to warn you, you, you may know this by now, but I'm a little bit of a language geek, right? I Yes, <laughs> because you regularly scorn me for my imprecision. <laughs> oh, I don't think scorn is such a strong word, but <laughs> belittle. Okay, well, but, Accurate. Uh, but, Accurate. but there is there's a one language thing that I'm going to try to show us here. And it actually, it's, it's very interesting. You know, here's the thing. When we teach some of these things, you know, when, when we talk about them, it affects other areas too. It's not just like for this particular thing, right? But, right? but these help us understand parts of the Bible before. In our very, very first podcast, I don't know if you're, our first episode, I keep saying podcast, but in our first episode, <laughs> yeah, this is the podcast, I know. <laughs> in our first episode, we talked about Hebrew poetry. Yes. And so I'm going to talk a little, that's a genre in the Old Testament, you know, but the Gospel of John uses examples, and Jesus in the Gospel of John uses examples of what's going to, what we'll call Hebrew parallelism. And I'm going to try to show you some of that today. Okay. Uh, that it's kind of a, this is a, it's going to get a little language geeky. I'll warn you, but uh, <laughs> delicious. <laughs> so let's look at John chapter seven, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read most of this uh, at at various times, kind of stop along the way and talk about a few things. So don't if you don't have your Bible in front of you, don't worry about it. if you're out walking or whatever when you're listening to this. I think we can explain this well enough. But John seven verse one says after this. Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go down to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And this is what we talked about last time, that his brother said, oh, you need to show yourself publicly. But then eventually, uh, Jesus goes down to the feast. And and here's the thing. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. Which or, we talked about a little bit in the yeah, last a episode. a little bit. The other thing this is called, I have to be very, I, this is where my enunciation sometimes fails me. Because the other thing this is known by, in fact, I'm reading today from the ESV, and this translation has the heading the feast of booths booths i have to say that very carefully there was a, literally ryan there's one time i was teaching I'm gonna... and i kept talking about the feast of booths and then on the quiz the one of the students spelled it b-o-o-z-e the feast of booze and i'm like 
I'm like, no, that's an entirely different feast. That's another feast. <laughs> so, Important, but different. A different feast. Yes. So this is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Now, Tabernacles, it, it's the idea of tents. Again, we talked about this idea of skene and is, is the Greek word, but a tent. And, and what happens? This is a fall. I'm going to explain just a little bit about the context. This is a culturally, this is a fall this is in the Old Testament, you can find this. This is a fall harvest festival. So kind of like Thanksgiving. It's a time when, you know, olives and, and grapes and all this harvest would came, come in. So just like us, you know, there's plenty at that time. So you get everybody together and you have this big festival. People would go down to Jerusalem and they still do this to this day. It's interesting because they build these booths. They build these tents. Tabernacle is the is just the Old Testament word for it. But they build these and they live out in them during this festival. So it's kind of like you're camping out in your in your backyard or whatever. They still do this. They're temporary shelters. And one of the things that they remember then, and this happens in the fall in Jerusalem. There's a lot we kind of have to bring together here. But it reminds them of the time that they wandered in the wilderness. And the entire time they wandered in the wilderness, the, the, the people of Israel, God provided for them, Right. Hmm. You remember they had manna, manna. for yeah. example. They had quail when they wanted. You know, yes. Basically, God says, I'm going to give you so much quail, it's going to come out of your nose. If you don't believe me, go read it. It really says that, literally says that. And, and God provides water miraculously for them at various times, you know, where, where they're in the desert. And it's like, there's nothing for us to drink. And you'll remember on more than one occasion, uh, water issued miraculously from a rock that, that was able to... Uh, give water to the people so they remember this now here's the interesting thing is tabernacles takes place in in the fall and you need to understand this about israeli um in this part of the world let's say that that there's a different kind of weather pattern than we may be used to because what they have is they have a wet like in some areas of the world they have a wet season and a dry season and during the wet season, it's the winter winter rains it's when you get the heavy rains and then the summer season is dry so if you don't get good rains in the winter in this area, you're not going to have good crops in the next fall. So what they would do is they would kind of combine all this. So they're saying, thank you, God, for the way you provided for us in the wilderness. Thank you now for providing for us and living out in kind of temporary shelters kind of reminds them God can take care of, you know, we have these permanent homes now in this place. We live in this land now, but God can take care of us even if we're intense, right? That's kind of what they're, it's a way to talk about their trust. And, and thank you, God, for providing for us these grapes and these olives and all this wonderful, you know, things that you have provided for us. And also at the same time, they would pray, and especially on the on the end of, during the end of this feast, they would pray, God, send rain so that we can have good crops next year as well. So they prayed for the winter rains to come, right? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. So I'm going to introduce you to another word uh, you see sometimes in the Old Testament. Again, the translation sometimes they're trying to make it easier for us, but they've, they've kind of covered over some of these. Uh, they're called uh, wadis is the, is the word for it. And, and basically it's, it's a dry riverbed, okay. but, but the reason is it only flows in the, in the winter, right? When the rains come right there, are these wadis, there are these dry riverbeds. I think in the, in the parts of the Southwest of the U S uh, arroyos, I think are the same, similar kind of thing. If I, if I understand it correctly, but they're, they're these things. Okay. So all that's background. So tabernacles was a really cool time. Josephus tells us about these and he actually describes that they had these giant candlesticks. We've talked about the temple. Yes. They had these giant candlesticks that they would, they would light, uh, kind of oil lamps that they would light. And the way Josephus literally describes this is he says that, uh, that all of the, the squares of Jerusalem would be illuminated at, even at night. Yeah, and didn't they burn the undergarments of the priests? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> as the wicks or something. Yeah, was some point you want to make about that? <laughs> yeah, but that was. No, I'm just, <laughs> just a, hey, you're giving cultural context, bodies, <laughs> dry riverbeds, and they've got these big candles, and the wicks are. I just the priest undergarments. Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll see Forg- if there's application for uh, that. Forgive me. No, no, our it's audience great. wants me to interrupt you, <laughs> and I'm gonna do it. Okay, so. These light, you know, it would light, it would be an yeah. interesting, it, it kind of was a big party. I mean, imagine when you're a kid, you know, being out, you know, hey, you get to Late camp out, yeah. right? stay out, you know, all my cousins have come into town and, you know, it's a big, it's a big family kind of thing. So, so that's the context for this. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus goes up and here's the question really they're asking, is Jesus the Messiah or not? Is he going to show himself? Is he going to make this declaration about who he is? So here's what happens down in verse 14. 
Mm-hmm. It says, about the middle of the feast, Feast of Tabernacles again, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone, uh, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether this teaching is from God and whether I'm speaking my own authority. So he's kind of making these kind of claims uh, about himself. Now, let's skip down because they get to this point. It kind of becomes kind of heated. You know, some people are saying, can this man be the Christ because of the things he's saying? He's saying things that are not true. And other people are saying, think about the signs that he's done. Could anyone have done anything more than what this man has done? So this is this is kind of what happens. And they're all kind of getting upset about this and muttering and, and this kind of thing. Verse 37. Okay. Here we come. This is where some of the language stuff is going to come in. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day. So this is the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. What we believe now, this this comes from this is, gets a little little confusing because this comes from later rabbinic writing, but we think it would have gone back to this time. And I'll tell you, if you want to, we can talk about why why we think it would have gone back to this period of time. But on the last day of the feast, according to the rabbis, they would have a procession that would go down to one of the pools. Uh-huh. Uh, they would take water in a fancy pitcher, and they would have a kind of a parade, a procession of the priest up to the temple and they would pour out what's called a libation a, a, a drink offering a water offering onto the altar and and that was the time that they would pray for these rains to come so it's like you know god you've provided water for us in the past you know so we think that this is the context for this yeah so there's a so again just for, for my sake and okay. maybe some sure. of others so part of this celebration because they're praying for the rains to come mm-hmm. in winter they go down to one of the pools you know we talked yeah. about the what, I, I'm going to pronounce it the pool of Bazother. I, yeah. I think it's actually the pool of Siloam that they go to. But anyway, pool one of the Siloam, pools, they go down right. there. They take some pictures. This kind of the processional, mm-hmm. and they go up to the the altar and or or where are they taking the water to the altar? Yeah, to the altar. Yeah, and then they're pouring it out, kind of as a, a poured out have, offering. They have these funnels that, according to to these later writers, they had these funnels they poured it into, and it would go onto the altar, and and they per, were praying for rain. God send rains for us so that we can have good crops again. Thank you for providing for us continue to provide for us. Okay, kind so of that's the, the context then yeah. of, where, of where we're at here in 37. So on the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out. So here's a loud voice. And, and I'm going to read it the way that this is the ESV. And, it, and really, it doesn't matter which modern translation you're reading. It's all going to have this the same way. I'm going to read it this way first. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this is what we call the the believer's understanding of this passage. Every modern translation takes it this way. And this really isn't about the words. It's more about the the ordering of them. I, I told you this idea of Hebrew parallelism. Okay, yes. so, so I'm going to read this again. Let me read just this part of it. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And then we get a, in English a period there. Whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, from within his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, so you see, what I'm saying that means the way that we understand this verse, given that punctuation, is that the one out of whom the river, living waters flow is the believer. Do you see that there? In yeah. That, in mm-hmm. that. Now, here's the problem with that: is I think what we have here is a Hebrew parallelism, and I'm going to give you an example from someplace else first. Go back into John six, just one chapter before this. I think we get a good example of this. Uh, verse thirty-five. You want to read that for us? J- yeah, John six thirty-five. Six thirty-five. You might remember this is the bread of life discourse. This is a, a different Passover when Jesus is up in Galilee, um, but he's talking about the fact that that you know they're talking about manna from heaven again, kind of a similar context to what we're talking about. But go, go yeah. ahead and, and and read that just that verse. Yeah, uh, Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." Okay, there's a parallelism there. I want you to notice it. So you see, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Okay, that's one line. Second line is, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you see the parallelism there? Yeah. Comes to me and believes in me is one set of parallels. And then hunger and thirst is parallel. Yes. You Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? Those are similar kind of ideas. This is the way Hebrew poetry functions. You know, poetry in any different culture is is different. But a lot of times you'd have these couplets. If you read the book of Psalms, for example, if you read the book of Proverbs, a lot of times you see those um, those couplets. I'll give you a famous example just off the top of my head. Your word is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. You see that mm-hmm. that's par- it's a re- repetition basically. So, so that's what we have going on in John six, whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. That's not saying two separate things. It's really kind of saying the same thing again. Right. I, I will provide um, things to eat, things to drink to the one who fo- is, is a follower of mine, who, who trusts me, you know, believes in me, comes to me is, is parallel. Now, flip back over to John chapter seven, and I want you to listen to this again. And this time, I'm not going to change a single word. All I'm going to do is change the punctuation, and I'm going to make this a Hebrew parallelism. Okay, John, which I believe it is John chapter seven. Uh, the verse again is verse um, thirty-eight. Well, actually, 37, 37, 37 and thirty-eight. Here's the way I'm going to read it. Now, listen: If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. Okay, see the parallelism again. You see, it's yes. almost exactly the same as the one in the previous chapter. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me. So so here you've got the same parallelism we actually had in the last chapter. The one who comes to me and the one who believes in me mm-hmm. is parallel. And thirsting and drinking are parallel. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, just at least entertain that possibility. <laughs> okay. We're it's, it's we're being entertained. Yes, and I'm I, entertaining. And, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tell you even though every modern translation takes it and again it's, i haven't changed a single word it's just the punctuation okay and the yes. punctuation is not in the in the original right the punctuation right. is something that editors and translators have had to add doesn't matter which translation you're using every modern translation does it this way and i'll tell you the reason i think that they all do it you know people are always asking well why does it happen this way i think it's when the verses were put in the way the verse mm, way verse 38 right. is right in the middle of an idea in my mind Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it shouldn't have been. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every modern translation translates it this way, but almost every commentary, almost every Johannine scholar, someone who studies the Gospel of John intently, takes it the way I'm about to tell you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Now, here's what happens. So let me read the whole thing given that way. 37, 38. On the last greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me period. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if we take it that way, who's the he from whom these living waters will flow? Jesus. Okay. So you get the difference then. It's not the believer's heart. It's it's out of out of Jesus. And I'm going to come back to the word heart in just a minute. It's, heart's a fine translation. The ESV is chosen. But it's it's saying that you can come to me and drink because from within me is going to flow this water. Okay, the spring of living, living water, water, which living water we've seen before. Chapter four, we saw living water at the woman, woman, at, woman the at the well. You know, there's different places in the Gospel of John where we get this really interesting phrase about living water. I want to talk a little bit about that. L- let's talk about the heart first. So this is the Greek word uh, koilos or koilios, and and that word means one of the ways it's translated in most parts. It can refer to various organs of the body, like the insides. So from within him, let's say, from within him will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you read some translations, like the CSV or CSB that you usually use or the mm-hmm. NIV, they actually have changed the him here, the singular, into a plural, them, from within them. That even heightens that idea of the, this being referenced to the believer. Out of the believer will flow living rivers of living water. But, you know, if I'm correct... <laughs> and other Johannine scholars are correct about this being a reference to Jesus, then it's saying out of him will flow, flow these rivers of living water. So this idea of within his inmost parts is his heart or his, you know, within within his, some some translations will say belly, you know, the, the, these rivers of living water will flow, rivers of life-giving water, we could say, will flow. Now, so let me read that again, or, or say it again. So uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, the one who believes in me, as Scripture has said. Now, here's the interesting thing. Usually, if you have that, if you have as Scripture has said, out of, out, from within him or from in, within his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you have something that says, as Scripture says, in a Bible, what do you normally have after that? You'll have a... Uh, you'll have the markings where it's coming from in the right. Old Testament. So what markings does it have that it's coming from in the Old Testament? Uh, it Mine doesn't have it. It's it, does, not a, well, it doesn't. 
it doesn't have it because this is not a direct quotation. Okay. Okay. But what I believe, because Jesus is saying the scriptures have said from within him will flow rivers of living water. I think he is referring to a Jewish understanding from scripture that is very clear. And I'm going to show it to you. Uh oh. This group, this group of people from the tabernacle or, or from, from the Feast of Tabernacles would have known when Jesus says from within him, remember, they're, they're, go, they're going up to the temple right. to, to pour out this water and to pray. The people knew this, this tradition that I'm about to tell you. In fact, some people believe one of the scriptures I'm about to show you was read during this service, during this ceremony. Okay, huh. so I'm going to look at three passages from the Old Testament. The first one I think you have up for me, Joel chapter 3, verse 18. Yes, uh, Joel chapter 3, verse 18. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Acacias. So it says the stream beds there, that's the word wadi. So there are these dry riverbeds that only flow when when it rains in the wintertime. But what does it say there about it? And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. Okay, and where does that water come from? from the house of the Lord. Where's that? Well, the temple. Okay, so this... Uh-oh. <laughs> Jesus is the temple. What? What? Okay. It, this is so meta, man. My mind's blown. <laughs> so so this idea from God's house, the, this water's going to flow, and it's going to flow to all this... So all these dry riverbeds are going to flow with water. Okay? That's one time. Look at Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to read this one for you, I think. Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to actually read this from the NIV because this is the one that I'm most used to reading from. Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to do a little commentary along the way because this is a little bit of a lengthy section. Down through verse 12 is what I'm going to read. Ezekiel chapter 47 verses 1 through 12. Okay. So in in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has these series of visions and he has this guide. It's it's apoc- yeah. it's apocalyptic literature. We've talked about this. He has this guide who shows him these various things and that's who the man is referring to here. Okay? So the okay. man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. Okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. In Ezekiel's day, there was no temple. Right. They were in exile. Mhm. And they were in exile in Babylon. The temple had been destroyed. Right. And so he's seeing this vision of a future temple. Okay. Gotcha. So he says, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming out from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. Okay. So you got to picture yourself in Jerusalem and you got to imagine yourself facing east. Okay. And then it says this, the water was trickling from the South side and the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand. He measured off a thousand cubits and he led me through water that was ankle deep. Now here's the interesting thing about this water that flows and where's it flowing from? It says, uh, under the, from threshold of the temple. No, no. Yeah. It's from the, from the the temple. temple. Yeah. Okay. So this water's flowing from the temple. The further you go, this is the story, the way it's told, the further you go, the deeper this water gets. It's an interesting kind of kind of concept. So it goes a thousand cubits, water's ankle deep, another thousand cubits, water's knee deep, another thousand cubits led me through water was up to the waist, another thousand, and it was now a river that I could not cross because the water had risen, was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he said to me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows down the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah. And I'm going to read this literally the way it says it in Hebrew, because uh, the translators have given you a little bit of a cheat here with this, the modern translators have, and it flows down into the sea. Now, here's where you have to know the geography of the Holy Land. (laughs) If you're going east from Jerusalem and you have water flowing down into the Arabah, then what sea is it going to flow into? I don't know. The, I, de- the Dead Sea. Oh, yes. The sea that's west of Jerusalem is in the Mediterranean. Right. But the sea that is east is the Dead Sea. And, of course, the problem with the Dead Sea is it's dead, right? <laughs> yes. It's the name. It's <laughs> So water flows into it, and water doesn't flow out. It's the lowest place on the face of the, 
of the continents, right? So, so water, there's no place to go. It flows down there. It evaporates and it leaves behind this very high particulate. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, you can float in it, right? Yeah. Because it's so dense. It's yeah, so heavy. Yeah, don't get your eyes in it. Right. It burns. It burns. Or if you have a cut or whatever. Yeah. Um, no fish there. You know, everything's dead. If you think about the, you know, all the plants are scorched around the side of it because of this, the chemicals, the, the, the salt that's in it. And so he says this water that flows from where? The, uh, from the temple goes down into the sea to the dead sea and when it empties into the sea the salty water there becomes fresh swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows there'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there makes the salt water fresh so where the river flows everything will live you know how many times live mm-hmm. is used there so it's making taking it's making the dead sea alive is what this river does is what what this vision he has Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to, to En Glyam. There will be a place for the spreading of nets. The fish there will be of many kinds, like the fish of the, of the Great Sea is literally what it says. Our translators have told us the Mediterranean. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will the fruit fall. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So, so this river that flows from the temple makes things alive. Yeah. You've got, you've got the fish that are coming to life. You've got the, the trees that are growing on both sides. You've got all this food that's going to be produced from it. Okay. So there's an image. Water flows from the temple and makes things alive. One more passage. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. This is Zechariah chapter 14. I'm going to read about verse two, uh, and this is both of these are apocalyptic images, so they're they're a little confusing to us. But I think I can kind of lead us through it, and and that's not really the main point. What we're trying to understand is when Jesus says, "Remember this in chapter seven, when Jesus says, as Scripture has said, from within Him will flow rivers of living water." We're trying to understand that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse two. It says, um, half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord, uh, this is the, the, the word Lord, will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet, God's feet themselves, will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. So this is the idea. You will have a place of protection that you mm-hmm. can you can escape is the idea. And, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, which there was, well, I won't talk about that another time. Then the Lord God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost. It will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening there will be light. So this idea that all night long there will be this illumination, just like we saw at Tabernacles, right? Yeah. That's kind of what it, it, it's imagining or looking forward to. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, and it shall continue. Here's the important thing. We might miss this. It will continue in summer and in winter. So you see what they're looking forward to is this time where this water is going to flow out from Jerusalem. Now, Zechariah doesn't tell us where this water comes from, but Joel and Ezekiel do. It comes from the temple. And it goes to the east and the west is a way that it's described here. But do you notice that phrase? One of the few times we find that phrase in the entire Old Testament, maybe the only time, living water. Jesus says, as scripture has said, from within him will flow rivers of living water. And here it says, living waters will flow from Jerusalem and it shall continue in summer and in winter. And and the Lord will be king of the whole earth. And on that day, the Lord will be the one and only right so when jesus stands up on the feast of tabernacles when the people are going up to the temple in order to pray for rain and to pour out this libation jesus stands up and he says if you're thirsty come to me and drink the one who believes in me because the scriptures has said from within him 
will flow from within his belly or his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living, living water. So what's he saying? That, that he is the one that's been prophesied about. I think that's it. And and what you've been looking forward to in this festival, what you've been looking forward to in the temple, you're waiting for what Joel 3.18 says, well, that's going to come from me. Right. You're never going to thirst again. Okay. It's like it's like the living water that he tells the woman at the well. Okay. Like, whoever drinks of me, uh, I'm going to give you water that you know, be yeah. thirsty again. So look at John chapter 7 again, and let's see how John understands this passage. So I think this is another reference to the temple. That's <laughs> what I'm saying to you. Right. Because the water is going to flow from the temple. And Jesus is saying, it, it's flowing from me. Mm-hmm. I am the one that, that, that you've been looking for. So, so here's what it says. Let me, let me read this again. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, just like it says in Zechariah 14. Now, John says this, this is his near, uh, uh, verse 39 is his, is his remark. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. In, in glorification, the gospel of John takes place when Jesus is crucified. Again, he gives us away the ending. John tells us that after he's glorified, then the spirit is given. And John is writing this at a time when he can say that 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 has happened now the living water that comes from within him uh, is this idea of the spirit right that has has come to people just like ezekiel this is the way i like to think about that image of the river that the further it goes the deeper it gets Mm -hmm. this is what followers of jesus are going to be like that that the the longer things go along the more there are going to be people who are followers of jesus and the spirit of god is going to be is going to be working we talked a little bit about um, you wanted to ask this question. I know we talked a little bit about Greg Beale's book last time, mm-hmm. uh, the temple and the church's mission, right? And, and how that image uh, of the temple and about being reunited with God, being restored because of what Christ has accomplished, is is a part of that that image or that theme. And, and that's that's what I think is going on here. You know, the more there are followers of Jesus, the more that the kingdom of God grows, the more the spirit of God is, I don't say this, I won't say is able to, <laughs> but, but you understand what I'm saying? The more yes. that the spirit of God moves. Right. Because the, the spirit. It gets deeper, like the, like the river. That's it. That's exactly the image I think that Ezekiel's getting. And that's what I think Jesus is talking about here, that the spirit of God, the more followers right now. There are more followers of Jesus on the face of the earth than there ever have been. So this is the ongoing work of the church's mission, or, or we could say the furthering of God's kingdom right. as we fulfill what he, he said at the very beginning, fill the earth, subdue it, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And, and, and this idea that you know the, the whole earth is going to reflect the glory of the Lord, the, the, that as people who bear his image, we were created in his image and, and are now being through the power of the spirit transformed into his image, reflect back his glory to him. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So that's how I think this theme connects with that idea. Questions on this. One more passage I want to show you in just a minute. I'm not yeah, quite I don't done, know if I have but questions, you know, I think going back for me, the importance of the Old Testament, I mean, I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience. Sure. Like, I, I've read the Old Testament many times. Right. And sometimes you get into Ezekiel, and I've said this before, like, you know, Ezekiel talks about a lot. A lot of it just seems like it's, you know, I'm reading words, and I'm trying to paint a, a picture in my head, but I'm like, where, where is this going? Right. Uh, but seeing, you know, and I always say this is, you know, Jesus says these things, and we've said this before, like, the Jews would have known this, or, you know, the people would have known this. Mm-hmm. and. How far we are we removed from that because we're not in that worldview yeah. of what they were looking at. And so the importance of the Old Testament. And then I think, again, just building off that thing, the importance of the church's mission inside of that, you know, with the spirit. Right. And I, one of the things that you and I talked about with, with the Beale book, just we were having breakfast this morning, but it's just these things that I have read and passed by sometimes mm-hmm. in the Garden of Eden, be fruitful and multiply and subdue mm-hmm. the earth. There was this, there's this, the, the call of Adam was there was wildness mm-hmm. still outside of the garden, outside of this yeah. realm of Eden. And that was his mission. Yeah. And that is our ongoing mission. Yes, absolutely. You, you know, that, that, 
And that is where the spirit, the the life that is coming out, like the church's mission is, our mission is the same as Adam's. Yeah. To, to subdue the earth, you know, bring God's kingdom yeah. to the temple here. I don't understand why God chose to use people. That, that, I, I always <laughs> say that. said that before. I, I know. I, We're that, screwed up. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the, to me, one of the greatest, I mean, people get all, all these great mysteries. To me, the greatest mystery is why God chose to use people, but he did. And and his work, his ongoing work, is through his people. That's that's what he's he's called us to. Now, the cool thing is, it's exciting. And I do think I'll, I'll, I have a suspicion about the answer to that mystery. I, I don't know. I can say this for sure, but I think it's because it also forms us. It, it's a way that he shapes us. Right. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because we care about the things. As we're transformed by the power of God's Spirit, we care about the things that, that God cares about, and we 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 want to love people the way that God loves people, and, and we want to speak truth the way that that God has spoken truth and showed us truth. So that's that's I think it's about forming us uh, to be the people that He created us to be, the, the way He wanted us to be in the garden, and we chose not to. I think that's what it's about. I think that's why he chose to do it in the way that he did. But, you know, obviously I can't know the mind of God, right? But, <laughs> Correct. You but, cannot. But that's my suspicion. That's that's what I think is, is happening in this. Um, there's something else you said I was going to respond to, and, and I can't remember now. But no, that— It's I, so I, profound, it just blew you away. I think so. I think, well— <laughs> But it, I mean, we we don't often think about that fact that there is. Oh, you know, people just kind of think. I guess it's it's pretty much what I said. You know, people think being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean we sit back and just wait for God to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, to be a disciple, uh, one of the things that happened with the rabbi disciple relationship is the disciple eventually takes on the work of the rabbi. That's the whole point. It's almost like an apprenticeship. And then the disciple, and that's the whole upper room. Jesus says to them, you know, now you're my friends. You know, no longer should, you know, do I call you, you know, servants. Servants don't know the master's business, but now you're my friends. And so you're you're carrying on. I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you the paraclete. I'm going to send you the spirit so that you can continue this mission that I have done. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, I, I can only do what the, the father has sent me to do. And now he says, now I send you. Right to go into to continue this work, and and that's where we are. That's what's come down to us in this day. Again, the exciting thing for me is to think about the work of the Spirit in all of my brothers and sisters around the world, in the places where they are. Some of them in dark places, some of them in difficult circumstance, but they are they are taking the light of the gospel and they're taking the work of the kingdom into those places and, and speaking the truth of, of of the things of God. Uh, to, to people who've never heard them and that's the work that's what we're doing you know so a lot of people like to think about you know well god's in control everywhere well yes and no but there there's the rebellion uh, mm-hmm. of this creation Sin is real and it is really yeah. you know revealing itself and, constantly and i want to talk about that and now again i want you to hear the optimism though right that i don't believe it is winning as much as some days if you look at the news it seems like it I believe that truth will prevail. Right, I, I believe that that the you know the gates of hell will not stand against the church. I had a, a you know I worked internationally down the, in the Dominican Republic and loved one of the guys there. He he was well, I mean loved a lot of the people there, but one of the guys, <laughs> one, one of the guys I worked with always had this thing to to say. You know what, what are you doing today? Well, we're kicking down the gates of hell, and that's kind of a cool thing yeah. to think about. It we're going into these places. Where that, that are that are hell that that are are places that are um, in rebellion to God, where people are doing things that are against His image and His plan for us. I do want to. I think it'd be good for us to talk just about the nature of sin at some point. Yeah, and what absolutely. That, what that means, but you know what Paul tells us is that we are being conformed, and I think it's through the work of the Spirit. The fancy. Let me give you a fancy word: sanctification. Right. We're being formed by the work of the Spirit in us to be more like Jesus all the time. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So he's changing us. He's conforming us to be like Jesus. Um, and, and so that's you know that's what we're doing. Let me give you one more passage. Yeah. And this, just like, you remember uh, when we talked about the temple theme in the beginning, when we talked about John 14. Yes. And I finished with the book of Revelation. Yes. And, this, Wait, that, and we've had some response from yeah. people like kind of going – 
whoa, that kind of yeah. I that, you know I hadn't seen that before that yeah. parallel to it. So Revelation twenty one. Oh, I, I know the other thing I was going to say. Let me just quickly before you talked about the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, rewind. I think I think. Yeah, can you splice this in? I no. Think, I, I think John. So the book of Ezekiel. John uses the book of Ezekiel a lot. A lot of the images, not only in the Gospel of John, but you know, I've already said I think it's the same author that wrote the book of Revelation. Not everybody does, but I do. And I think it's you know the Apostle John myself, but someday we may talk about that. But the, these images from Ezekiel are right. clearly used in Revelation. I think they're also used in John. So I think that whole idea out from within him will flow these rivers of living water. Talking about Ezekiel 47, at least in part, it's that tradition that we see throughout all the Old Testament literature, the Hebrew Bible, that we see this this idea of water flowing from the temple that's going to make dead things alive. Yeah. So, and, and you you mentioned this briefly, and I just want to make sure we wrap all this up. Is you mentioned? Do you think the Ezekiel was what was maybe read as they brought the water up? No, Zechariah, Zechariah fourteen. Okay. There, there's a, there's at least one theory, and and here's the problem. Some of the rabbinic literature we have is from a later period of time. So the question is, was this after right. the time of the New Testament, or was this, this something that had been practiced during the time of Jesus? Now, here's the thing. The reason I think that that rabbinic literature refers back to this earlier time is because you got to remember in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Right. So I think this is reflecting back on a period of time that people would have known and remembered. Let me say one more thing about this. I meant to say this. John, you know, I've talked before. I don't think the Gospel of John is written at the end of the first century. I think it's written closer to the time of the destruction of the temple. A lot of these descriptions, and we talked about in the last episode, the the vine mm-hmm. uh, on the front of the temple, this idea of the Feast of Tabernacles, the way it was practiced and taken place, some of these details, I think, would have been written to people who would have had active memory of them. Mm. Yeah written by somebody who knew the temple before it was destroyed and written to people who would have been asking the question, now what do we do that that the temple's gone? And the answer is, well, Jesus, in a number of different ways, in a number of different settings, Feast of Tabernacles to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, said, I'm fulfilling the purpose for this. So so we have a temple. John chapter 2 uh, in the temple incident. You yeah. know, he was talking about the temple of his body. So I think that's kind of what a major thrust of this book is about. The Jewish festivals as well, the description of the feast we'll talk about another day are from somebody who would have seen them practiced. practiced right. But after 70 that that those festivals wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So at least, at least in the, in the way that they're described. Let me read this. So we read Revelation 21 at the end of the John 14 episode, and it talked about you know the new New Jerusalem, but then this idea that there is no temple because the Lamb and God are the are the temple, right? The, mm-hmm. This image of a new Jerusalem in that way. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 22. Okay, starting in verses one through five. Well, you can go ahead and read that since okay. since you got it. Yep. Here we go. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord of for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So what do you notice there? What what do you see there that's similar to what we've been talking about? Well, we got the light from, you know, and the river yeah. flowing from, from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, where's the river supposed to flow from? From Jesus. From the temple, From right? the temple, yeah, so, yeah, right. So here's, it's flowing from the throne. Mm-hmm. Throne so of that's... God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, which... Also rose back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel where, 47. They, yeah. they all, all year long, this is going to bear fruit. Here's the interesting thing. Ezekiel says, and their leaves will be for healing. And here it says, their leaves will be for the healing of the nations. nations. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about this when we talk about sin, but the brokenness, there's, I always say there's four relationships that were broken as a result of what we did at the fall. And one of those relationships is relationships between other people. And, and even what we see... You know, we've talked about uh, Israel and Palestine right now at war. Uh, we see uh, places, other places where there's 
atrocities being done from one person to another. Even in our own country, we've got tensions, we've got killings, we've got shootings that, that happen on a regular basis. And, and that idea of the brokenness in our relationships with others. So the work of, of God's people isn't just about being right with God. It begins there. And that is the most important relationship that needs to be healed. But that's not the end of the story. We also need to be about healing relationships between other people. And, and that's what I think that idea in the age to come, that river of life is going to have the tree of life on both sides of it. And, and the leaves are going to heal the nations that that life giving you know, that's the image that I think that we have. So, yeah, he's definitely using e Ezekiel here, it says, and it flows from him. This idea there will no longer be a curse. You know, anything that's that's evil or accursed will be done away with. And that's, you know, saying you, you got to remember that there was river in the garden. Right. Right. Yes. And, and that's what God created the world to be. And that's the final thing I guess I'll say is they're going to see his face. So the same kind of intimacy that we were able to have with God before sin and before the fall, you know, before the effects of the fall affected the world, that intimacy with God is going to be restored so that we're with him face to face. We are his people. He's our God, and we, we make yeah. our dwelling with him. Yeah. But previously, when you, you couldn't look at the face of God or admit right. instant death, but now you can share this intimacy again. Because of his holiness, you know, because right. he is he is absolutely holy and we're not, uh, is the idea. And, um, you know, that's a, a thing we see several scriptures, Old and New Testament. You know, Jacob, for example, wrestles with who he understands to be God and sees him face to face, and yet he lives. And he right. says, oh, I'm amazed by that. But he... He called that place Peniel, the face of God, is what he called that place. And, uh, yeah, so that our sins are forgiven because of what Christ accomplished, and we can have this intimacy with God again. We, we, we talked about realized eschatology last time. We are already enjoying that intimacy through the – I mean, that we have the spirit of God living within us. You can't get more intimate than that, right? Right. That he indwells us, that he lives within us and moves us and, and transforms us. You know, that's what I think he's, he's talking about here. All right. Well, I got a final question for you. We've yeah. kind of, we've gone through a lot of, yeah, gone through a lot. Sure. And so I'm going to ask the question. I think, you know, some people might be listening. You know, we, we've learned and like, maybe we should read this a little bit differently, but I guess my question is, so what, what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us? How we live our lives, how we participate? I that's a great, world? that's a great question. And, and for me, I, I guess, you know, it, it's not too much different than what we would understand in other ways. But I do think it emphasizes a couple of things. It emphasizes, first of all, what we currently have through what Jesus accomplished, right? That we, we have the spirit of God within us. We have intimacy with the father, which previously we could not have. Just as a side note, the Hebrew writer describes this in a different way. We now have confidence, he says, to enter uh, into the most holy place, you know, yeah. we are, we, if the most holy place is the place that demonstrates where God is in the midst of his people, there was that curtain and, and no one would enter except for the high priest on the day of atonement would go in under very specific circumstances, right? Lots after, of incense. Lots of incense after he had offered sacrifices for his own sins. Yeah. And then he would take the blood and, and, and sprinkle it on the, the seat there, the yeah. Ark of the Covenant. One time a year, very specific circumstances. But the Hebrew writer says, we now have confidence to enter into the most holy place through his body, right? Through through Jesus is mm -hmm. who we go. It's that image of the curtain. So that we are able to achieve that, first of all. We're, not that we achieve it. That's a bad way to put it. But we, we're, able <laughs> to, catch. we're able to have that, right? Yes. We, because of what Christ accomplished, we now have access to the Father in a new way. And... and then the other thing we've talked about, that this is our mission, that we have an ongoing work to bring that intimacy with God to, to all places. So how does it affect us? I mean, just practically speaking, I think it has to do with the, with our relationships. Again, we, we'll talk about this when we get into sin some sometime, but our relationships in our homes with our families, our relationships with our neighbors, our relationship with people in our workplace, that those should be you know, affected by this living water <clears throat> that we have we have partaken of, right? The spirit that lives within us that is making us uh, more like Jesus so that we're responding to other people in that way. So we're healing those relationships. I think we're healing 
you know, one of the things, and this, again, I'm going to have to explain this because this is going to sound a little crazy, but we're given, uh, you know, we were put in the garden as gardeners, you know, yes. man was given, there was a task, there was work to do. And the ongoing work is that we are restoring creation power of God at work within us is doing that. Um, so I, I think it gives us a, a really clear sense of mission, really of how big the task is. I always say this, that we're doing nothing short of rest, the restoration of creation, right, of, of God's world, all of it. And that affects, you know, the hunger, you know, there are famine in places, there are diseases, and, and, and we're called to be people who are, who are actively working to, to make sure those things are going away because that's not the way God made the world to be. Yeah. That's pushing, not, pushing against, pushing against that, right. Pushing back. I think in ourselves, we, we want to be different. We want to be transformed. We understand the areas where we know shame. And, and so, um, I think the unity of the body of believers, you know, that, that begins with us. And I think, I honestly think this is what Paul's talking about in some places where, where he talks about the importance of unity. I mean, this is, we, we were created for a relationship with one another. Uh, and when we have that separation, when we have the, like I said, the, the hatred and the killing and the murders, and even, even the discord among believers and disunity among believers, I think is something that we're called to, to work against. So all, I guess I, uh, what I'm saying is the monumental nature of the task, but also what we have at our disposal through what Christ accomplished and through the work of the spirit in our lives to be able to push against that, you know, through his power, not, not because of something we're doing on our, on our own. Uh, but we, we are called to be his, um, his uh, people, you know, we're, we're called to identify with him and, and also to, um, to do his work the same way that Jesus came to do the work of the father. He then says to his followers, you continue this work. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you so much. No problem. Yeah, this was a fun conversation. Good. I, hope, hope I so. mean, fun, deep, you know, and to see, <laughs> to see those connections. I think, again, you, you know, it's one of the, for me, <laughs> again, we talk about reading long sections of scripture. Yeah. Like, well, I can't sit down and read all of it at once, but, no. you know, to see those connections through yeah. some of those Old Testament stuff and to, there was no punctuation in the yeah. in the Greek and to kind yeah. of go, if we move that around just a little bit yeah. and just take out some of that punctuation that was in there that has a whole new meaning that that further uh, emphasizes who Jesus is. He is the one prophesied about and yep. what he what he is doing and what he's accomplishing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Brian. No problem, Ryan. Yeah, talk, talk to you talk later. To you thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you enjoyed it. We're taking a break from the Gospel of John for a bit and looking at one of the most debated books of the Bible in modern culture, and that is the book of Revelation. And next week's episode, we have an introductory discussion about the book of Revelation, what kind of book it is, and what maybe some of it means. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, you can find show notes, links, and more for this episode and others at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are enjoying the podcast and find it helpful, would you also please give us a review with Apple Podcasts? The more positive reviews we receive, the more likely others will be able to find and listen to this content. That's it for this week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. <laughs>